what a great reminder that the Lord is near, that God is, is present. And, and maybe uh, you are like me um, and you need a, a reminder every once in a while of some things. Maybe you keep some lists. Maybe you have a, a faithful spouse that just reminds you of some things every once in a while like, because you, things slip your mind. But sometimes I think we, we just forget God's presence. We forget his nearness. We forget that he cares about us, that he, he knows what we're going through, and he knows what we need, and, and he also knows like how to, to move us and, and get us there. And uh, A few, uh, maybe just about 10 days ago, a week and a half ago, I was playing some uh, pickleball with, with a friend of mine, and we were up, up at Snyder Park, up on the tennis courts, and you may or may not know this, but there's, like, pickleball players have a culture. And I'm not sure if I'm in that culture yet or not. But they also have like a, some, there's some demographics that, are, that could be tossed out there. I won't say anything about that. But, but I felt in this moment when we were playing pickleball with uh, other people that were around, like we weren't a part of the culture. And, and I just felt like a little frustrated by the situation. And I don't need to go into details related to that because it's, that part's not nearly as important. But, but afterwards, after the playing, and I think I won that day, but that doesn't matter either. But... <laughs> <laughs> but afterwards, we, I was, we were walking back to our car, and I was just kind of complaining about, about these people. I was frustrated, I was annoyed, and I wasn't afraid to kind of share that and just express my frustrations with a, a close friend, right? And, the, and then all of a sudden, like, and as I was finishing a, like a complaint and maybe calling some not a name, but just like a judgmental statement probably, but then this this lady just kind of feels like she appeared out of nowhere. Now, I'm going to name an old movie. And so, I, I don't know. Has anyone ever seen the movie, Oh, God, You Devil? Like, it's kind of old, right? It's like the 80s, so either you have to be old or you just have to like old movies. But there was this character in that movie that was God, right? It was played by George Burns, just this small, sweet old man with a hat and like a nice jacket or whatever. And this sweet old lady just walks up, and, and she has on her shirt, it says, Pray. And then out of the blue, and, I, and honestly, she was like a ways away, but out of the blue, she says, and I said, good morning. She says, good morning. Isn't it a great morning? A, a day where we can just thank the Lord because we can move and we can walk. We don't need to complain about anything. We've got everything going for us. And life is so good because God is so good. Let's not worry about all the things of this world. Let's not worry about complaining and being bitter and judgmental. And, and I was like, yeah. And I, and I was like, yeah. And then she walks off and, and my friend goes, did you hear that? <laughs> and I was like, that was, that was a reminder for me that God was paying attention to me. And I, I don't know if that was God himself. I, I keep seeing her about every other day, though, so I don't think it is, but super sweet lady. But this morning, we're going to jump back into the John chapter 17, where Jesus is ending his night with his disciples, and he prays. And I don't know if you've had a chance to reread this prayer at all. I hope you've taken some time to just read the words of Jesus he prayed as he prayed for himself, as he prayed for his disciples that were in the room and those that were outside of the room, and as he prays for us. What a reminder it is, this prayer of how much God cares about us, how much Jesus loves us, how he even thought about us in advance. Because as we talked about last week, Jesus knew that there was going to be some, some struggle for those who would choose to follow him after his resurrection. That they would be scattered, that they would be kind of torn apart, that they would be uh, persecuted and, and judged, maybe even hated in the world because it did not belong 
to the world. Jesus knew what things were going to look like, and yet he prayed for those that would follow him. In fact, he knew that that night, as Mark would describe in chapter 14, when, when he, as after he was arrested, that all that were with him would desert him and would flee. And yet he chose to pray for them. He chose to pray for a way for them to face this challenge, this challenge of following Jesus in a world that maybe might feel opposed to them or simply where they don't belong. And that prayer is found in John chapter 17 in verses 20 through 26, at least the last part of that prayer. So would you stand with me this morning if you're willing and able for the reading of God's word today? This picks up at the end of Jesus' prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. So that may be brought to so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. So as I was studying and and preparing this message and looking at this specific passage of scripture, I (laughs) I was reminded that I've actually preached on this passage a number of times here at Journey Church. And maybe some of you just heard me read these verses, and you're like, oh, man, not again. Like, honestly, at least three times where I've, an entire message has been preached on this passage. And then I'm sure it's come up a handful of other times. And, and I don't think it's I'm, like I'm just trying to cheat and, and just kind of redo my work and resubmit a paper and hope I get another good grade for it. But honestly, I feel like, like the power in this passage, it, it really... Um, is significant for us as we seek to follow Jesus. So today, the the message will be completely new, nothing stolen or or removed from a a previous message. In fact, the last time I preached on this, and maybe you remember it, we were in the middle of of, uh, a series that we called Decisions 2020. Uh, And I hesitate to even bring it up because we were preaching on politics. And we were talking about like how... In this passage, Jesus prays for unity, and we were in a season, and honestly, we're still in a season where, like, division rules the day, right? Like, like unity is hard to find, and, and so we saw that, like, praying for unity, Jesus' prayer for unity was that he might, like, have a church, have a, a body that is unified and is glorifying and is bringing the message of his love in, into the world. And, and it made sense in the moment, but I think this morning as I approach this passage, maybe from a, maybe a different perspective, it's, it's not so much about unity in the way that we understood it on that Sunday. 
Because the, honestly, when we hear unity, we probably, the first thing we, maybe that comes to mind is, is agreement, solidarity, peace, and, and harmony. But I think we often will confuse unity with harmony, with getting along, with, with there being peace in the room or peace in the country or peace in the world. And, and it makes sense, I mean, in our cultural moment to pray for and to seek unity and to seek agreement and to seek solidarity and, and to seek peace is, is not wrong, but I'm just not sure that's exactly what Jesus had in mind when he talked about and prayed about being one in the body of Christ. And we might right now in this moment, like as, as just people in, in our communities or, or in our nation or in our world, we might feel like parents, right, who are on the end of a long road trip, you know, just white knuckling it, hoping that the kids in the back could just agree on a song or a game or a book or, or what have you, like that there would just be harmony. That's what we, we desire in this space. And yet Jesus, I think, it points us to something a little bit more powerful because those things, agreement, solidarity, peace, and harmony, they're good, but they are just simply a byproduct of what Jesus would pray for, oneness in the church. So listen again to his prayer, verses 20 and 23 specifically. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, not just the disciples that, that were, but disciples that are as well. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. They were then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, for those that would follow Jesus, certainly those in the room as we talked about last week, but, but those that would be beyond the room like outside of that, that evening and those who would come and follow Jesus later on in history, Jesus prayed that they would be one. His prayer wasn't simply for unity as, as we understand it, but rather I think Jesus was praying for and asking the Father for, for union, to be made one. Like that's the, the definition of, of union is two or, or three things that are brought together to be one. Jesus would, would use a similar expression when he was talking about marriage in Matthew chapter 19 when he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And here in this prayer, as Jesus is praying for his followers, both present and future, he used um, that same relationship, relational words. It's how Jesus described the, his relationship to the father. He's, he prays that they may be one father, just as you and me, you are in me, and I am in you. See, both of these, in both of these examples, Jesus relates being one to being family. Like son to a father, or husband to a wife. Paul would actually use very similar language often in his letters, speaking of the family of God, Speaking of being one, there's a great example found in Galatians chapter 3 where he says, So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. 
For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Like these words that Paul would speak in this moment in his letter to the Galatians, like this was, this was countercultural. These were countercultural words, and this was a countercultural practice. The, the bringing together of Jews and Gentiles, the bringing together of slave and free, the bringing together of, of man and woman, not just in marriage, but in, in like equality. Like this was countercultural just to even speak the words, but then actually put it in practice would, would really be countercultural and frustrate people. And I think that if we're honest, that we live in a, in a cultural moment where our individual needs, where our individual desires, the things that, that we want and pursue, they often come first and then eclipse the concerns of the larger community. But in Jesus, we see the opposite. In his life, certainly, but even maybe even more importantly, in his death, we see how he was willing to put others ahead of himself, not just like individual others, but like the collective other, the humanity other. We see this in in Philippians chapter two. We see this explained by Paul when he says, in verses one to four, this won't probably be up on the screen, but he says, therefore, have, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Now, I realize that, like, this kind of family language, depending on your family of origin, the current state of your family or, or relationships with husbands and, and wives or, or whatever, like those, this language can have some, some baggage. It, we, we find ourselves in a world that, that is not only broken, but is filled with broken relationship and broken family history and, and generational sin that just keeps continuing to creep its way into our, our current generation. And so it Rightfully so, we maybe approach this word with some, some trepidation or maybe even some frustration or sadness, whatever the, the emotion it is that you might be feeling. But, but in and through Jesus, we have an opportunity to begin to, to redeem this word, to begin re, to, begin to redeem th- this idea of, of family in and through Jesus for ourselves and, and actually for others who might be struggling with, with similar feelings of, of that word and of their own family experience. And it's because it's there in the family that we become one in Jesus and with one another. Here's how Jesus said it. He said, 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as, as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And that unity, that word there, actually could just be to, like perfect oneness or just perfectly one. And here's the thing, is, as we strive for this, as we seek this, as we hope this and, and move towards it, is that our union, our being one with one another, it's preceded by our union, our being joined to, our being one with Jesus. Like earlier in this night, as Jesus was sharing all sorts of things with his disciples, he would say something that would sound very similar. It's found in John chapter 15. Where Jesus would say in verse 5, he would say, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus was talking about the union, the connection, the joining together of the, of the branches. Not just a branch, but the branches to the true vine. In establishing that connection. And in doing so, he gave this visual metaphor, a picture of what it would look like to actually follow Jesus, to, which really for us, as we talk about following Jesus, we're talking about a, a discipleship relationship, maybe an apprenticeship relationship where we, where we follow Jesus and then we try to become like Jesus and then we begin to do the things that Jesus did in our own lives. And so it was in these moments of being with Jesus that we would be connected to the vine. And as we become like Jesus, it's through those connections that we learn the ways and the walk of Jesus. And then we begin to do the things that Jesus does, producing fruit that is similar to the fruit of Jesus and living the way of Jesus in real life. Like all of this, this idea of, of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, it often is, is all captured in, in one word of, in the church of, of discipleship. But maybe a, a better word is, is formation. Robert Mulholland, in his book, An Invitation to a Journey, he says the formation is this. It's a process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And this process, as he would describe it, is a process that, that best is best done together. It's best done as a family. It's best done as one. Later in, in the same chapter, he would describe it this way. He says, the process of being formed in the image of Christ takes place in the midst of our relationships with others, not apart from them. We learn to be Christ's for others by seeking to be yielded and obedient to God in the midst of our relationships. Like this is where it takes place. This is the, the best place to be formed into the likeness of Jesus is in the lives and relationships we have with other people. People in our church family, if we want to call it that, and just people in life in general. When we walk out of this place and we, and we talk to our neighbor or coworker or, or classmate or whatever, it's in those relationships that we are most formed into the likeness of Jesus Christ which points us to the, the why. We talked about the why last week when we looked at the first half of this prayer, but here we're going to talk about the why of, of these three verses where Jesus prayed for them to be one because here the end goal for Jesus is that through our union to Christ and to one another as the family of God that we may be brought, as he prayed it, to complete unity, that we would be completely one. Then the world will know that you sent me 
and have loved and that you have loved them as you have loved me. Like this is his goal, this is his hope, that, that our unity wouldn't just so we be so we have happiness and, and harmony and we would all get along and it would just be just roses and, and sunshine, but he had a purpose behind us being one. And that our being one would actually be how we would bring his presence, the Father in him, and he in us, and us in the world. And that's us in the world. Not just me in the world, but, but the collective we in the world together, taking the presence of Jesus into those spaces. Last week, we defined the world that we had a slide up, and, and we kind of gave a, a broad definition that had a couple different ideas to it, that the world might be the earth, that when we talk about the world, we would understand it as a, a world system or maybe the entire universe. Maybe we would understand it as humanity um, or, or a place in time or space. But especially, as we talked about yesterday in John's gospel, it's, it's this system that's opposed to God. When we talk about the world, but the world for us isn't just simply a system because the world is actually filled with people. Like we can talk about it in broad strokes of, of earth and, and humanity and, and a system opposed to God, but that, all of that is filled with, with people. People that just like you and, and just like me. And what's amazing in this is that when Jesus would send his disciples out into the world, he didn't send them one by one. He sent them as one. This was a way that they would face the challenge of following Jesus after his resurrection, following Jesus into the world. At the end of the message last week, I, I said that, that we are called to a way of life that is against the world for the world. And when I said against, that was more like being countercultural to or, or different than. But a big part of that way of life is following Jesus together for the world. As Jesus put it, to be one. But here's the thing is that Jesus, when he would be arrested, um, mocked, spit upon, crown of thorns on his head, beaten, yelled at, sentenced to death, crucified on the cross. All of these things, when G those things would, those were things that only Jesus could go through. And he would be alone in the midst of it. He knew that his followers would desert him. He knew that he'd be left to do this on his own, but he also understood that he was the only one who could. He was the only one who could walk the path to the cross, through the cross, and beyond the cross. But he didn't pray to change any of that. What he prayed was a prayer that was for those beyond the cross. He would pray for those beyond the cross, that, that they would, those who would have to die to themselves and those who would need to take up their own cross to follow Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, they would, that they would do it together. And that's why as we, even this morning as we talked about serving and as we talked about groups and as in this church, we talk about being family, following Jesus together, 
Like there's, there's a reason behind it than just simply trying to fill your, your evenings with activity or giving you one more thing to do in life or one more thing for us to try to accomplish as a church. We talk about these things because Jesus talked and prayed about these things. That Jesus understood that this was a way of life that would enable us and equip us to face the challenges of following a, a resurrected Christ in a world that, that is often opposed to him and, and to us. And then by doing that together, we would have a chance to, to thrive. We'd have a chance to survive because we grow and thrive and we survive in the world for the world together. Otherwise, we just likely won't grow and we won't thrive and we won't survive. And maybe in, in the words of uh, Jack from the classic series Lost, like, we can live together or we can die alone. Yeah, for those of you that have seen the show. This morning, we're going to take communion together. And as followers of, of Jesus, this is one of those regular rhythms that we, that we practice, to come to this table regularly. And when we do that, when we come to take communion together, we do that for sometimes for a few different reasons. We sometimes do that to come and remember the sacrifice that Jesus would make by shedding his blood and, and giving his body for the forgiveness of, of our sins. Sometimes we come to this table in order to kind of have some time for self-examination, to consider maybe some places and spaces where we've, we've failed a little bit in life or failed a little bit in the, our relationship with the Lord or with others and to confess that and to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes when we come to this table, we come just simply out of gratitude. Lord, thank you for, for every good gift and, and everything that you've done in me and, and for me and, and through me. And yet sometimes when we come to this table, we just simply come to the table together as the body of Christ, as, as the family of God to remember what was done for us and to celebrate that what he is doing in us together. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to, to consider that as you come and, and take the elements and then return to your seat with them. And then we're going to receive or take them, consume them together after you've done that. So some music will come up. When you're ready, you can come and, and receive these elements, and then we will take them all together in just a few minutes. Tish Harrison Warren, in describing communion, said this. She said that the Eucharist, which is communion, is a profoundly communal meal that reorients us from people who are merely individualistic consumers and the people who are together capable of imaging Christ in the world. Eating itself reminds us that none of us can stay alive on our own. We are born hungry and completely dependent on, the, on others to meet our needs. In this way, the act of eating reorients us from an independent existence toward one that is interdependent. But the Eucharist goes even further. In it, we feast on Christ and are, th and are thereby mysteriously formed together into one body, the body of Christ. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I'd like us to close this part of our service by saying the Lord's Prayer together. And if at this point you don't have that built into memory, that's, that's really okay. You can just pray along with, with those and you can say it in whatever version you've best learned it in. But would you join me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs>